America, hello world. My name is Adrian Lee and I am your host. Welcome to the show More Questions Than Answers, the only paranormal quiz show anywhere in the world. Each week my guests and I will search the world's newspapers, websites and TV shows just for you to bring you the very best in paranormal talk radio entertainment and enlightenment. We will then test each other's knowledge of the week's events of the mysterious, strange, supernatural, unusual, bizarre and just plain weird. If you have just tuned in especially to hear the show, then I admire your taste. If you have just tuned in by accident, then I admire your luck. I am huddled under my quilt with a large flashlight and a nice cup of tea with tonight's guests somewhere in the barren wildernesses of the Midwest Plains, with the sound of my elderly mother snoring distantly from the room next door. So snuggle under your covers, turn out your light and hold on tight. The rules are very simple. Points will be awarded randomly for being interesting and for making me laugh. To help me control my rowdy panel of recidivists and reprobates, I will employ what I have called the inappropriate bell. An example of that would be... The panel have no idea what's coming. I have no idea what stories they have for tonight's show. And we are completely live and unedited. What could possibly go wrong? Let me start by introducing tonight's guest panel... Firstly, the mysterious and effervescent Heather Morris. She has been a paranormal investigator for many years, with her own team called Hellhound Paranormal, and does all of her best work in the shadows. She is now the audio and EVP expert with the International Paranormal Society, and brings her knowledge and research skills to tonight's show. Heather has spent all week trying to work out why, if Wiley Coyote had enough money to buy Acme products, why he didn't just buy his dinner. Good evening and welcome to tonight's show, Heather. Guten Tag. Guten Tag. Wie geht's? No. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> we also see you get all keyed up and raring to go, but there's no delivery, is there? It's no. Just, no. We also have with us the analytical and sceptical mind of Kim Gore. Kim is also a talented and valued member of the International Paranormal Society. Kim has invented a device this week for finding furniture in the dark. She's calling it a shin bone. Welcome to tonight's show. Hello. Finally on tonight's show, I wish to introduce the calm and unflappable Greg Gore. He is married to Kim and we shall see if this is still the case after tonight's show. Greg is a paranormal investigator and tech expert. He owns and operates more cameras and leads than the BBC outside broadcast department. He is also our producer and sound mixer. Greg doesn't suffer from insanity. He actually enjoys every minute of it. Welcome to tonight's show, Greg. Hello. You had an interesting conversation, I believe, today with a gentleman that was into the paranormal. Is that right? Yeah, we did. We talked to Rick from Iowa. 
He was very interested in the paranormal and enjoyed talking to him and want to say hi. Fabulous. Another listener to our show. Can I remind our listeners that we have a Facebook site? It's called More Questions and Answers with Adrian Lee. We have at the moment 3,600 people following that site. So that's fabulous numbers. All of the stories from tonight's show will be on there, plus many, many other stories that we can't fit into the time we have available. Now, one of the things I wanted to start with tonight is that we had an investigation last weekend. We was in Mankato, which is a fabulous town, has a lot of history, of course. If you are aware of your Native American history and the Sioux Uprising, you'll, you'll recognise that Mankato played an important role in that, infamously, I should suggest. And uh, we investigated a place called the Maxfield House. Now, this is on 2nd Avenue. It's uh, currently the Save More jewellery store, but it is, in fact, the oldest house in Mankato that's still standing. It was built in 1861. So the opportunity, of course, to investigate the oldest building standing in Mankato was something that my team couldn't pass up. So the girls at the jewellery store are fabulous. They let us investigate there, which was very kind of them, because to be honest, we're complete strangers and we're wandering around and there's all these cases of jewellery everywhere. So this must be the Minnesota nice I keep hearing about everywhere. But uh, quite a few things happened. One of the things that impressed me about the investigation was that I went into the basement on the first vigil. Greg, you was in my team on that particular vigil. And we heard footsteps walking all around us in that particular room. And we've picked that up on our audio. And there was a lot of banging sounds. So what I'm going to do next week, if we go through our evidence and uh, we produce some of those sound bites, we will actually play those for you. But the thing that I found really interesting from my own personal perspective is I turned on the ghost box halfway through the first vigil in the basement. And the first thing that came out of it was that I said... The first thing I want to hear is your name. Who are you? And I turned on the ghost box, which, as you may well be aware, is a device that scans all the AM and FM frequencies very quickly. And it creates white noise, but it also creates a kind of random electronic words, if you like, almost like an electronic Ouija board, I guess. And uh, the first thing it shouted out was Dennis. So I said, hi, Dennis. Can you just confirm for me that your name is Dennis? And he shouted out Dennis again. So this wasn't random now. This is actually someone talking to me and I've asked for their name to be repeated just so we get it right and to confirm what I heard. And he said Dennis again for me. And then very interestingly, he shouted my name out. So it's always nice to be greeted and it's nice for them to shout my name out. But that just gives you a sense that these ghosts and these spirits have a sentience. They're aware who we are. They're aware that we're in the building. They must hear us talking to one another for him to be able to offer that information. Now, what I found really interesting was I wanted to go back and talk to this gentleman at the end of the investigation. So on the third vigil, I went back down into the basement and I turned on the shack hack again and I said, who's there? Who wants to talk to me? Dennis, straight up again, first thing that came through. So I thought that was quite remarkable. He's a very persistent man. And he also gave me his last name. His last name, he said, was Harris. So uh, what I need to do during the course of the next few weeks is go to the Blue Earth Historical Society in Mankato and I'll actually look him up and see if I can find this gentleman in the obituaries or listed in the graveyards and cemeteries. So he's given me a bit of research to do there. But that was the highlight for me. So I guess I'm going to go around the room and I'm going to talk to you about the things that stood out for you on that investigation. The oldest building in Mankato. Heather, what, what was the highlight for you? What things did you think were impressive? I had two things that I thought were impressive. The first was um, 
when Kim and I were investigating the first vigil, which was actually pretty active for a first vigil, um, we were investigating upstairs, and I had a name come to me um, psychically, which was Ben, who was trying to get a hold of us. And it's always nice to have confirmation because you were in the basement during your third vigil. And I believe you said that a Ben came through. That's right. And again, what I did when he said his name was Ben, I said, do you prefer being called Ben or Benjamin? And then he said Benjamin. So this is almost like a little trick that I have where you can have random names spat out of this ghost box at any time. On the radio, they're always mentioning names. What I like to do is if someone says their name is William, I then say, do you prefer to be called William or Bill? And it gives them an opportunity to come back again without me saying, could you say that again just for clarification? So the same with the Ben. When he came through, I said, do you prefer Ben or Benjamin? And uh, he came through as Benjamin because ultimately... If you have an ounce of humanity about you, you want people to get your name right. So if you came through in spirit, Kimberly, you know, are you Kim or are you Kimberly? Do you see what I mean? And you'd want to get that right. I might be you? Kimmy. You might be Kimmy, <laughs> in which case you'd be haunting me. So, uh, you know, ultimately, you know, Greg, Gregory, I mean, there are ways in which you can elicit and tease out a little bit more information on the Shack Hack, just so it's not a random name being spat out it's much more impressive as evidence if you actually produce you know some audio that has him saying his name twice in slightly different ways or a shortened version based on your stimulus and then their response I guess but you're absolutely right Ben did come through was there anything else you you got from that vigil well I liked the validation of that and the second thing was you guys were so gracious when we went down into the basement to not tell us about the sub pump kicking in there was, isn't it always the way that the things that are living are the things that scare us the most? The most I've ever jumped on an investigation is when the guy next to me coughed. So I was doing an investigation in the Palmer House basement in Salk Centre. And I've never jumped, I don't think, when a ghost has appeared or when I've been touched. The times I've jumped is the time when the person next to me in the darkness suddenly sneezes the loudest sneeze ever or coughs the loudest. And you're absolutely <laughs> right. On the first vigil we was in the basement, there's a sump pump that randomly goes off. So we're sat there in the dark and suddenly this horrendous noise just kicks in. And uh, yes, it was... It was <laughs> Greg and myself made a management decision that we wasn't going to tell you that that That's, happens. Thank you. So I'm glad you got the full... Full experience of that particular pump, I guess. Kim, you was with uh, Heather's group for the majority of the evening, but what came to you? What things did you think were interesting from that particular investigation? There was two things I thought of as well. Um, the place was, and I'm going to use this term specifically because that's exactly what it was, the place was just buzzing with energy. Um, you could feel the buzzing in your whole body. Yes. Uh, the second thing that I was going to bring up is that... Uh, Heather had brought along with her some dowsing rods that we had not played with before, and that was our first time playing with them. And so you're, I don't know about Heather, but you're a little skeptical about what you're getting from the dowsing rods. Sure. But as we came back from our first vigil telling what we had discovered through the dowsing rods, you guys confirmed um, from your vigil a lot of the things that we had come up with. It was very interesting that when we had, uh, I love this word, but we have a plenary I love the word. It's uh, Latin, I believe. But at the end of every vigil, we meet up for 20 minutes, discuss what the other groups have got. So we know when we're going to go into the other areas of the building, 
what's already there or what things have come up to use as a stimulus as well of course and you're right what was very interesting is that you started your first vigil with your group up on the top floor and we was in the basement and when we got back together after that first vigil and discussed our findings it was amazing how much of the stuff we got tallied up and was the same information so again you know we're validating our own um, evidence at that point I guess was there anything else that that sprang to mind that you were you thought was pretty impressive just mostly that everybody was matching on their on their information yeah that was good to cross corroborate all of that and you're right about the energy there was moments and I've experienced this in other places around the world where it feels like you've got bees in the soles of your shoes like you're treading on wasps or bees and if anyone has uh, had the privilege of going to Stonehenge in Wiltshire in England obviously it's a druid site and uh, three four five thousand years old they believe but the energy there is very similar when you're walking around for me personally it felt like I was treading on bees it had that similar same effect I guess Greg, you was with me for uh, a few of the vigils on uh, Saturday night. What stuck in your mind for you? Well, when we were on our second one upstairs, I had gone into one of the rooms. It was a real small area. We, were, we couldn't all sit in one room. And all of a sudden, I started getting dizzy and, and really queasy feeling, and I thought it would go away, and it didn't. It just kept getting worse and worse. And uh, finally, I went downstairs and it went away you're absolutely right the energy upstairs did was very oppressive i must admit and uh you did the professional thing of course which is if you're feeling unwell you know to remove yourself from that situation but interestingly enough as soon as you removed yourself you know that then that then went away because uh there was a part of me that just thought you know you're old basically and you know (laughs) (laughs) that's true (laughs) so uh you know, I um, that was very interesting because there are places I go to where I feel sick. You're absolutely right, to the pit of your stomach. And the Pioneer House that we investigated in Jackson was one such situation where it was just a nauseating sensation, just twisting your lower stomach where you felt so ill through paranormal activity and negativity. And uh, there was a lot of negativity up there. I, I will agree with you. Um, one of the things that was up there is that they have an office where they repair guns. And there's lots of guns up there, there's gun racks, there's parts for guns. And of course, guns have a lot of energy with them, you know, let alone the animals or anything that they've killed. But imagine you're storming the beaches, you know, of Dunkirk on D-Day. And we've all seen the opening 25 minutes of Saving Private Ryan. You know, if you're grabbing hold of your gun and clutching onto that for dear life, all your fear... You know, all that energy that's going through your body is being put into that gun. And at the end of that conflict, you know, imagine after two hours of fighting on the beaches, they would have to prize your hands off of that gun, wouldn't they? You know, your fingernails would be embedded in the wood almost. So the amount of energy that's picked up by uh, those weapons just through usage would be remarkable. But you're absolutely right. That was uh, that was something that happened up there on the second vigil, and you were absolutely right to, to remove yourself from that situation. So we're going to go back. I'm going to have some historical research to do. I'm going to look for my man, Dennis, and uh, hopefully over the next couple of weeks we'd have looked through all of our evidence, and uh, we may be able to play you a couple of audio clips from that investigation live on air. All of tonight's stories can be found in glorious Technicolor for your perusal on our Facebook site, More Questions and Answers with Adrian Lee, where you can see at your own leisure the graphic pictures and video footage that accompany tonight's stories of the paranormal, 
Strange and Bizarre. Now, talking of paranormal, strange and bizarre, our first round, because there are points to be had on our show. We are the only quiz show on the entire planet that I am aware of. So, I saw a story this week. The headline reads, Surveillance video from a store in Guildford has many people spooked. The video from Alacoya County store in Guildford depicts what looks like a glass object flying off of a counter and breaking with no sound this week. A store employee is then seen rushing back into the room to see what happened. The video was shared on the Alacoya Barn and Grill Facebook page with the simple description, Haunted Much? So, was it a ghost or something paranormal? The store commented on the Facebook post saying ghost hunters will investigate the place soon. Has anyone seen this footage? Has anyone no, looked I at haven't. this? Mm-mm. It was really interesting. I often get sent and... Uh, I often get sent security footage and uh, a lot of it appears on our websites and on our Facebook site. So this is on there if people want to go and view it. But you've got a surveillance camera and a lady's working in a shop and she's sat behind the counter. And then she walks around the front of the counter and goes off into the shop to chat with a customer. And then two or three minutes lapse and there looks like a glass bowl just sat on the counter. And this glass bowl after two or three minutes just literally takes off whizzes across the counter, kind of spins on its end, and then just jumps onto the floor and smashes into a thousand pieces. Now, I've viewed this many, many times because I'm thinking there must have been a gust of wind, something must have knocked it. So I'm looking at all the paperwork that the woman had on the desk of the counter of the cashier's register. I'm looking at all the things around it. I can't see how this could possibly do this without having some sort of paranormal activity involved it's not like there's a fishing wire or a thread and the woman then comes running back to the counter because she's heard the smashing and she wants to know what it is and she sees the bowl lying on the floor and she goes and gets a dustpan and brush and uh, it's a really interesting piece of footage if the ghost hunters go in there and uh, I'm sure they will find something but if people want to see that It's available to view on our website and on our Facebook page. So you're more than welcome to go and have a look. A very strange phenomena, which of course makes it paranormal because it's beyond the norm. I shall give myself points just to start the ball rolling. (laughs) This is the name of the game. Heather, you're laughing, but there are points to be won in this game. So what have you got for me in the round of ghosts and hauntings this week? Voodoo priest works for Methring. Ooh. Oh, your mother's arrived. (laughs) Authorities in Florida said a drug rings network of couriers, distributors, and dealers included a voodoo priest. The Polk County Sheriff's Office announced Wednesday deputies carried out Operation Hoodoo Voodoo Tuesday and arrested 13 people accused of being among the methamphetamine rings network of 25 identified couriers, distributors, and street dealers. There must have been a comma in there somewhere. Uh, No, not really. What? um... (laughs) I wondered if you'd get to the end of the sentence, you went blue. Uh, I know. Who makes up these names? Hoodoo Voodoo? Yes, that, Operation Hoodoo Voodoo. It's like when there's a serial killer, and I bet all the police sit round with a cup of coffee for two hours when they should be out investigating, saying, should we call him the fox or the badger? It's uh, quite <laughs> remarkable. We're looking for a criminal known as the Notice fox. Notice he didn't say squirrel. I know. <laughs> yes. Early on in the show to be mentioned in the word squirrel. I find I've actually seen this footage. I looked at this. It was very odd because there's a small kind of trailer or wooden cabin and there's 25 armed men burst through this little door. And I just thought it was kind of 
overkill that that many people would rush into that building. I don't know. The accused head of the ring, California resident Javier Flores, known as El Don, was not among those arrested and his whereabouts are unknown, the sheriff's office said. So they never actually caught the person they went to look for? No. Investigators said 44 pounds of methamphetamine were seized Tuesday at the Polk City truck stop and high-ranking member of the ring, Louis Villafort Rojas, was arrested when the shipment from California arrived. The sheriff's office said the voodoo priest was one of the identified members of the ring, but deputies did not release his name or reveal whether he was among those arrested. He served as a spiritual leader for Flores and other members of the criminal gang, deputies said. The spokesman, uh, Donna Woods, said the gang leaders sought guidance from the priest when $200,000 cash was seized by authorities. They wanted to know if it was okay to continue, Woods said. The priest advised them, everything's okay, just lay low for a couple of weeks. It's not the police, it's someone inside the organization. So the arresting officer now has sharp pains in his neck and in his knees. Pretty much. Almost like a pin, kind of stabbing kind of pain. <laughs> Operation Hoodoo Hoodoo. Operation. What, what qualifications do you need to be a voodoo priest? I mean, because obviously if you're an ordained minister, there's exams to be had, there's... Uh, you know, lessons you have to go through. What What do you need to be a voodoo priest? Is this some some sort a of mojo online? bag? A mojo bag, a shrunken head, <laughs> a shrunken head, a snake, yeah, some juju powder. That's right. Some anointing Chicken oil. Claw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> See, live and let die on DVD. I've seen it. <laughs> Quite remarkable. Points to be had. I have seen that video. Oh, and don't forget the makeup. That's. Ah, oh, and at the, some sort of top hat. That's right. Oh, we're all on the same page. You should have two points wherever she goes. Fabulous. Kim, what have you got for me tonight in the round of hauntings and the paranormal? A sick Rhode Island man lived with dead wife for days. At least she stopped <laughs> nagging him. It's probably the best two days he ever had with her. He probably, yeah, he obviously didn't know she was dead. Was there it? still lovemaking taking <laughs> That's place? That's what I was just going to say. Oh. I wonder how many It was the same apart. as always. <laughs> <laughs> so this is in Johnston, Rhode Island. Authorities say a 71-year-old man with Alzheimer's disease and dementia had lived with his dead wife's body for at least two days before officials entered the home this week. Police in Johnston say the man's 67-year-old wife died a few days ago and he wasn't aware that she had passed. Well, that makes that less funny now, doesn't it? So we're all looking rather solemn and rather sad at the fact that we cracked a lot of jokes at the beginning of that. Well, authorities say there were no signs of foul play, so that helps too. Fantastic. Um, authorities say the man called the fire department on Wednesday and officials found the woman's body and a dead dog. <laughs> oh, God. The, I'm sorry. <laughs> the home was condemned because of what authorities call deplorable living conditions. The man was taken to a hospital for an evaluation, and officials were trying to contact his family. The medical examiner's <sighs> office is investigating how the woman died. What about how the dog died? I mean, no one mentions that, do they? They didn't say how long the dog was dead for either. I just imagine him walking down the road with a lead, dragging the dog behind him for two miles. Oh. Thinking, come on, Fido, you're very sluggish today, and he's taking his dog for a drag. I used to take a goldfish for a drag, but then goldfish aren't very interesting creatures, are they, and don't make good pets that's terrible we're moving swiftly on we go into our second round now which is ufos and cryptozoology it's green men it's hairy beasties i'm going to start with green men actually chevron island local jack purcell shot video of what looks very much like an alien spaceship flying through the sky near his home last thursday night 
He was in the front yard with his mother and friends when they noticed the object. We were all sitting out on the front and my mother pointed to the sky and said, Look at that colourful plane over there, Mr Purcell said. Then it came to a sudden stop and just hovered there. So I ran inside and grabbed my video camera. Residents are seen walking out onto the street to get a glimpse of the object while a police vehicle later stops to observe. Mr Purcell said the police officers had to call it in, with a police helicopter later flying near the area. The police chopper would fly near it, but then it would turn its lights off and just disappear, he said. It was really strange. It was quite sceptical of all of these things, but it just blew my mind. YouTube comments suggest the flying object was a remote-controlled drone helicopter, but Mr Purcell disputes the theory. I've seen drone choppers and they're not that big, whereas this thing was huge, Mr Purcell said. Seen any huge choppers this week, Greg? No, man. No, just thought I'd ask. (laughs) It was really high in the sky too. I don't think this one was somebody mucking around. I have no idea what it was, but my guess is that it's a UFO, despite how crazy that may sound. A spokeswoman for Gold Coast Police said no police helicopters were in the area when the object was first spotted. She said police were notified about the object, but leave it was a radio-controlled device. If it was anything larger, it would have been picked up by air control radars, she said. Having said that, of course, they lost a Malaysian jet for several weeks and uh, that was the large size of a civil aircraft. To say, to say that anything's going to be picked up on uh, air control radar um, perhaps is, is pushing that a little bit too far. I have seen this footage and it is very bizarre. I have seen UFOs like this, but you've got a light in the sky that starts off blue. And as he focuses in on this blue light, you see that the blue is emanating from the bottom of the object and around the object are there's red lights in a pattern. So it's it's like symmetrical. Then all of a sudden, it's like those little Lego bricks, Kim, that you've got where they suddenly flash all different lights, almost like a, a Christmas tree that's that's gone mad and all the lights come on. So while we're watching this, it changes colour. It randomly has different lights in it it disappears it reappears and then it has structured lights at one point where it looks like there's some sort of blue area underneath like where a beam would come down for example in a classic kind of ufo way and then it's got a series of red landing lights maybe six or seven or eight all around that blue light in a circle so very bizarre definitely a ufo i've never seen a drone um, helicopter look anything like that and of course when the police helicopter came along they said that it disappeared and turned its lights on and then came back again when the helicopter left but at that kind of height I mean I'm no expert on remote controlled helicopters but what kind of distance have you got in terms of a remote control there must be a point where you're not in control of that from the ground and it did look an awfully long way up in the sky so I don't know I'll have to do some research perhaps talk to Lorna our expert on UFOs, to find out what the distance is for remote-controlled aircraft and planes, because it must diminish over a period of distance. Have you any thoughts on that, Greg? Any ideas? I don't have any idea how far they can go. No, I was thinking. We, we, we need to do more research as ever. There are indeed more questions than answers. I shall give myself a healthy two points there for... <laughs> Actually bringing up UFOs in a UFO round because that's become quite rare in the last few weeks. Now, now. Heather, what have you got for me with green men and hairy beasties? We're going to be hairy beasties here, aren't we? I can tell. Pharmacist prescribes monster spray to cure children's fear of eerie creatures. 
That sounds like Chewie has trod on a Lego brick. I don't remember that in Return of the Jedi. (laughs) A pharmacist in North Dakota has taken some measures to put children's fears to bed by creating a monster spray, an alleged medication prescribed to kids who have trouble sleeping at night because of eerie creatures that may be hiding under their bed. So it's a spray for under your bed. For all over. It's a room spray. (laughs) All over. Yeah. All she has actually done was put some creative labeling on a bottle of colored water and to tell the kids that the spray would help them get rid of the monsters. Jocelyn Dodd, the manager of Barrett Pharmacy, says they have done this for the past five years or so, and it worked for many children. It proved to be one of the most effective treatments ever prescribed for warding off possible monsters. This is great. It's like a placebo. And I love the fact that you're putting the child in control of getting rid of the monster. You're putting them back in control, aren't you? (laughs) Right. The only problem I see with this is that the mother walks into the bedroom and they said coloured spray in a can. Is that right? Yeah. I've just, you know, I've got this image of like the walls looking like they've been spray painted in graffiti would be terrible. Well, it's 100% safe and it works amazingly. It really seems to get rid of the monsters, the pharmacist told ABC News. The instructions written on the bottle are simple enough. Spray around the room at night before bed. Repeat if necessary. Now I have to point something out. There are often times at night when I think there's a loose skunk ape running around my room. And what I use to get rid of it is Febreze. Which is the same... (laughs) Similar in many ways. Very similar. I see where this is going. Yeah, I am... For some toddlers, the miracle colored water might be an effective solution to get rid of the imaginary creatures hiding under their bed, but it actually depends on the child. For others, it just reinforces the idea that monsters exist and it intensifies their fear. Oh, I hadn't thought about that. If a professional in a white coat is giving you a spray and saying, use this against the monster, that that (laughs) reinforces the fact that the monster's dead. (laughs) Right. I like the idea this kid's in bed with a spray can. And suddenly this nine-foot Bigfoot comes through the door with the teeth, you know, slathering and the claws and the smell and this kid spraying coloured water <laughs> at it. Because obviously in those circumstances, coloured water is not what you need, is it? No. Something with a bit more bite to it, I would suggest. That's a fabulous story. I like that. I'm going to give you three because I'm feeling very generous Yay. tonight. Winning. You are winning, quite remarkably, but it is still early days and there's an opportunity for you to clutch defeat from the jaws of victory. Kim, we're moving over to you. Cryptozoology, UFOs, green men and hairy beasties. Your story was North Dakota, wasn't it, Heather? Yep. Okay, I'm going to do South Dakota and North Dakota. Sweet. We all heard that, didn't we? If anyone from (laughs) South Dakota and North Dakota wants to write in. Newly discovered dinosaur called Chicken from Hell. (laughs) Wow, that's a big chicken, Greg. (laughs) (laughs) Greg, you shall have points just for making that noise. The the, the look on your face as you managed to get that noise out was incredible. So uh, you must have been practicing that all week. (laughs) Um, Scientists have discovered a freakish bird-like species of dinosaur. 11 feet long, 500 pounds, with a beak, no teeth, a bony crest atop its head, murderous claws, prize fighter arms, spindly legs, a thin tail... And feathers sprouting all over the place. That's going to take a lot of stuffing, isn't it? Is what I'm thinking. (laughs) What does it taste like? I've no idea. We've not caught one yet. (laughs) I shall ring my own bell. I I normally have to. Officially, officially it's a member of a group of dinosaurs called... You're going to help me with this, Adrian? Do you think it's Saurus? 
Oviraptorosaurus. <laughs> You're going to have to say that again. I think that's a Greek island I once went on holiday on and caught a really aggressive yeast infection. Say that again. Where's the bell? Or Oviraptorosaurus. <laughs> well, over, over, over would be ovum. So that's egg laying. And then what okay. have we got in there? Raptor. Raptor, yeah. That's uh, rap. Rape and rapture means to take. That's that means to take. So we've got egg laying, taking. What have we got next? Osaurus. Osaurus. Well, that means lizard. So uh, okay. a, an egg taking lizard is what we have. But that's fabulous. I'm happy to hear about new dinosaurs. Kentucky Fried Chicken haven't put that in some sort of bucket yet, have they? Not that I'm aware of. I McDonald's might have though. That, that, if you caught one of them, the whole family could feast on that for days. You'd be eating chicken all Christmas, New Year's, all the way through into Easter. Have you got any more? What else is on there? Um, unofficially, it's the chicken from hell. That's the nickname the scientists have been using. It's the term in the news release associated with the discovery. This dino bird is not literally a chicken or even a bird. It's definitely a dinosaur, and it lived at the end of the Cretaceous period from about 68 million to 66 million years ago. It would look like a really absurd, stretched-out chicken, said one of the paleontologists. (laughs) They're getting too technical. I'm sorry. They've they've lost me. (laughs) Um, They found three fossil specimens Uh in a sedimentary rock layer known as the Hell Creek Formation, which is part of where they came up with the chicken from hell. (laughs) Fabulous. There's also the matter of appearance. It's an unsettling beast. It looks like it could stomp you, rip you to pieces, or simply peck you to death. You could end up in a chicken coma. So that's a pecker, huh? (laughs) This bell's going to run out by the end of the night. Uh, Chances are, once you have the image of the chicken from hell in your head, you will never think of it as anything other than the chicken from hell. I wouldn't want to be attacked by a giant chicken. There must be a B-movie somewhere where a chicken drinks some radioactive water and, you know, Steve McQueen's in it and a chicken goes on a frenzy. And that must happen somewhere. There must be some sort of rampaging monster chicken somewhere they must have made a film of that it must be around i'm going to go and look there are there is a tv commercial with the guys grilling chicken and the chicken oh you're right goes and beats him up that's it yeah there is a plucked chicken isn't there that's quite roasted and i think it's quite sick actually but the chicken hits him it then plays volleyball later isn't that right yep that's right there's some people though if you go back and i'm gonna i'm giving away my age now Back in the day when I was little. With the Jurassic period. And not, yes. And on Saturday mornings, they used to have what was called creature feature. And it was always some enlarged spider or something. So there must have been something on creature feature. We'll have to look into that. I do know when you see films about giant spiders and giant crabs and the like, a scientist will tell you, a marine biologist, for example, will tell you that exoskeleton creatures can't grow that large because their body weight is too heavy to support them. So the biggest spiders you can get are literally the biggest spiders you can get. They can't physically get any bigger than what they are, because they won't be able to support their own body weight, because they're exoskeleton, whereas we're internally skeletal, if you like. So when you see these B-movies where there's a giant crab or a giant spider, the reality of the situation is it can't actually happen. It can happen in the water, but once it comes out of the water, it can't support its own body weight. That if helps you, you sleep at night, doesn't it? Well, I don't sleep. I sleep. What well, if I get a water bed? I'm in trouble, aren't I? I, I have no fear of a spider crab climbing spider across crab. Cr- climbing across the land. You're just afraid of crabs. <laughs> well, it's not high on my list of things I want to be attacked by. To be perfectly honest. And if you start talking about them coming out of the toilet at me, I shall be very disappointed. Kim's giant chicken story shall receive an impressive four 
points, which now puts her on six and in the lead. So your lead was very shortly. But I got one more. Well, let's have a look then. Two, you're going to squeeze two stories into our UFO and cryptozoology round. I'm good to you. Are cats spies sent by aliens? (laughs) Wow, a cat spy. A deep examination of one of the internet's best conspiracy theories. I've been on the internet and looked for deep examinations and come away with a lot of (laughs) of cats. Uh (laughs) Wow. First thing, if you're looking for a deep examination, the internet's not where you want to go. You say that. I actually disagree with you quite considerably. Maybe we need to talk about your doctor's appointments. Uh Oh. Yes, we won't be discussing that in a hurry, but I'm getting to a certain age now where certain areas of my body need to be probed to see if I'm fit and healthy. And uh, I didn't quite know what was going to happen. No one sets you up for this, do they? So I'm lying on the bench and, you know, they say to me, just remove your pants, sir, and bring your knees up to your chin. And I'm thinking, I wonder what they're going to do next. Well, little did I know he went to the car park and came back with a branch and took a run up. So that took me by surprise. (laughs) Do continue. I'm glad we can discuss my medical situations live on air. Attention, cat people. And don't it make your brown eye blue. Wow. There's a burgeoning theory around the Internet that begs reckoning. It's not the theory of that parasites and cat poop are turning you into that crazy cat lady, though that's certainly a cause for alarm. It's much worse than that. Domestic house cats, it seems, may be alien sentinels sent to spy on us and report their findings back to the mothership. This sounds like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, that fabulous series of books written by Douglas Adams in the late 70s, where mice were spying on us and doing exactly the same things. The, the, the most intelligent species on Earth was mice. And when they were in the labs being experimented on, they were actually experimenting on us and sending all the information back to their kind of mother planet, if you like. This, ah. this has everything to do with Douglas Adams about it. Some theorists have put it, they're like alien camcorders tracking our every move. Cat cam. Yeah. Examine the evidence and decide for yourself. Now I have some statements here. Are you ready? You got your pertinence. I got my pertinence on it. There is no documentation before ancient Egypt that mentioned the existence of cats. And in ancient Egypt, there were they were worshipped as gifts from the gods. They were. If you go to the British Museum and go to the Egyptology section, they have a room specifically for mummified cats. Yeah. It's fabulous. They're all sat on the shelves with their little ears and they're all mummified and... They go into this further. They said they can't figure out when cats actually started to become domesticated. And ancient Egypt was where they could pin it. Well, they did have gods that were cat-like. And of course, cats are very useful because they keep vermin down. So people must have thought to themselves, if we have a cat in the house, it's going to keep the mice at bay. Well, there's more here. Science is baffled by the cat's purr and cannot determine how the sound is actually produced. Did you know that? Um, if you squeeze it hard enough, it will make all kinds of noises. <laughs> it's like that joke where the dog juggles balls every time the golfer gets a holding one. <laughs> you ever heard that joke? And then it jumps up in the air and does somersaults. And the person says, well, how hard does it jump when you miss a shot? And it says, it depends how hard I kick it. Ugh, terrible. <laughs> if you hold a cat's ears back and describe what you see... It is a perfect match to the classic gray alien with its almond-shaped eyes, small mouth, and small nose. I, I would suggest if you did that to any mammal, you're going to get an alien Come here, shape. let me pull your ears back. Well, I'm not... <laughs> wow. Let go of my ears. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> Ever watch a cat wake up from a deep sleep 
and run out of the room I've got in better an things to do. I only have better well, things to do. Well, it's making transmissions to them, and it's taking them in from the mothership, and they have to be alone to do that. Did you know that? Well, they're not going to do it with people around. This is a stealth operation. All things that come out of cats are totally unnatural. I, I, I can vouch for that. I've entered the cat <laughs> yesterday. I wonder where I dropped my chocolate M&M peanuts. Oh, and your Tootsie Rolls. <laughs> It's a bit chewy. <laughs> um, I'll just do one final one. If Please. you die, your cats will eat you. Oh, great. <laughs> Who gets there first? Not really a link between cats and aliens, but still pretty creepy. Well, any animal, dogs will eat you if they don't have any food and you're lying there and it's been a couple of weeks. They'll start nibbling at the odd bone and having a bit of a chew. Who wrote that? Where does that come from? It That's not the BBC certain, website, is it? Is what probably. I'm saying. I find that hard to believe, madam. I shall give you points for discussing my proctology tests. And a- I didn't bring that up. It was Kim. <laughs> yeah, Kim's grinning. She's now lost two points. <laughs> Heather, you just threw Kim under the bus, so you're minus two for that. So you're back to three. Don't make me call your doctor. And Kim's you're five. This, Great. This is One, catastrophic. Se- oh. <laughs> Wow, you've lost three points in one minute. How's that even possible? Wow. More informative informative, more informative madness after these short messages from our sponsors. The Lakes Area Paranormal Interest Group meets bi-monthly to discuss all things paranormal. The group's primary focus is on the topic of UFOs, but they also delve into alien abductions, cryptozoology, Bigfoot, crop circles and ghosts. Come with an open mind and be prepared to discover the who, what, when, where, why and how of these phenomena. Meetings are from 7 to 9pm Central Time in the Banquet Room of the American Legion Club in Waite Park, Minnesota. For more information, visit their website, lapig.org. For people who believe that standing in a cold, dark basement in the middle of the night for hours on end is perfectly normal. And I would like to mention that on the 7th of April, they do actually have Chad Lewis there, who's the author of the Minnesota Haunting and uh, Road Guide books so if you want to go along he does fabulous lectures he has amazing slides he's a wealth of information and he's constantly being interviewed on all manner of paranormal tv shows so get down there 7 to 9 p.m at the american legion club in wake park on the 7th of april and you shall see chad lewis the minnesota chapter of the mutual ufo network mufon meets the second saturday of every month at the new brighton community center new brighton minnesota Meetings are from 2 to 5 p.m. Central and include investigation reports, open mic, book reviews, videos and guest speakers. Anyone with an interest in UFOs is welcome to attend. For anyone who has experienced a UFO sighting or knows someone who has, this is the place to be. Meeting agendas, driving directions and tons of UFO information can be found at mnmufon.org. If you believe that your business or product would benefit from being mentioned live on air across the nation or the globe to a large target audience of morbidly fascinated and strangely interested listeners, I would love to hear from you. You are listening to the only dedicated paranormal news radio show on the planet, which makes you very lucky and informed listeners indeed. In the lyrics and the words of the reggae legend that is Johnny Nash, there are indeed more questions and answers. And the more I find out, the less I know, which means we are probably less intelligent than when the show started. 
I am your host, Adrian Lee, famous for being banned in Lithuania, for introducing the world to dirty hobo water and sometimes the annoying inability to say abominable snowman live on air. Welcome back for the second part of tonight's show. If you have just joined us, then where have you been and what could have been more important? If you have stayed with me, then let me raise your spirits further by saying we still have 50% of the show still left to go. Hurrah and a happy dance all around the room. I've been handed a fresh cup of tea and the promise of cookies. I have fresh flashlight batteries and my mother has thankfully now stopped snoring from the room next door. So onwards, we march, we move into the round that we call Strange and bizarre. Kim, I'm going to start with you tonight. You're now on four points. What have you got for me in the round of the strange and the bizarre? Brad the toaster will denounce you if you don't use it enough. <laughs> this is all we need, isn't it? Is inanimate objects now attacking us as well. I want a toaster named Brad. There is a toaster. For those of you that are familiar with the BBC science fiction series red dwarf there is in fact a toaster on there that constantly asks to be used and he says you know you can make muffins you can make crumpets you can toast your bread this way that way and uh, the main protagonist in the show actually takes him apart with a screwdriver because it just gets on his nerves constantly that this toaster wants to be used and of course how often do you (laughs) use your toaster it's not something you're using constantly, is it, throughout the course of the day? You do. I mean, if toasters if toasters do other things, it would be more beneficial. I'm sorry, I hope I haven't taken your story away from you. I wish to hear <laughs> about Brad. There's only a Brad. There's only yeah. a Brad. Okay. Uh, the toaster is typically a small electric kitchen appliance designed to toast multiple types of bread products. Well, I'm glad you, you outlined that for me because <laughs> I was struggling with the term toaster. That's the definition we all accepted so far. For the little product that made our mornings toasty and cozy. However, an Italian product designer has created an innovative version of the appliance that loves to be used, knows if it is neglected, and retaliates. If it's Italian, (laughs) it'll also steal your handbag and pinch your bottom. (laughs) It retaliates. The designer made a connected toaster called Brad that becomes unhappy when it goes unused. Brad the Toaster, created as part of the Addicted Toasters project, is apparently capable of emotions. If you use it only occasionally, it will definitely get upset. If the machine notices you don't make toast anymore, it will probably send a message to a courier to come pick it up and transport it to someone else who makes more toast. There's more pressure and stress in my life that even the objects in my kitchen are giving me grief and aggravation. According to Gizmag, the product is able to connect to the internet via a built-in Ethernet. It can tweet and do a whole lot of other weird stuff. Gizmag? I had some of them when I was 15. (laughs) If it is dissatisfied, Brad the Toaster will start making unpleasant noises or even denounce its host because they don't really have owners via a toaster network. Addicted toasters were developed from October 2011 until May 2012 at a university in the Netherlands. What I would like to see is inanimate objects that actually build up my ego and massage my ego for me. I want to wake up in the morning, look at my toaster, and I want my toaster to say to me, wow, that's a smashing shirt you're wearing, Adrian. Have you had your hair done recently? You're looking great. I don't want to, I don't want to have grief and aggravation. You know, I make the decision whether to have toast or not. You know, it's not down to some inanimate object to tell me what breakfast products I'm having. Can you imagine having. if your toaster started making Facebook posts on <laughs> <Yeah>. your wall? 
We're in a whole world of hurt there, aren't we? And, and what if you used your toaster way too much? Would it start posting things about, you eat too much? Yeah, Pop-Tarts and the like. Crumpies. He made two slices this morning instead of one. I know. Look at his waistline. I really don't need that from a toaster. If I wanted that, I'd get married. Oh, Hurrah! Kim, you shall have three points because three is a fabulous number. I've read War of the Worlds and I'm aware of the concept of threes. You are now on seven, which is your lucky number. I'm going to jump in here. I've got a very strange story. And of course, we are in the round of the strange and the bizarre. It says a man is recovering in hospital after chopping off his own hand and setting it... Yep, no one's, he's not playing Twister anymore. A man is recovering after chopping off his own hand. Can you imagine playing Twister? I mean, he said right hand on red circle. You'd oh, be, but you'd be able to just place that hand you chopped off anywhere you wanted. You'd win. I hadn't thought of that. It's yeah. not a one that says place stump on yellow circle, is there? <laughs> In fact, if you removed all of your limbs, you could win a game of Twister just by nudging with your head where your limbs need to go. Fabulous idea. <laughs> I don't know why people haven't thought of this before. He actually set his hand alight in a gruesome self-mutilation. Police and ambulance crews raced to the house. It always says race, doesn't it? Police and ambulance crews just turned up casually after stopping off in McDonald's. In fact, I don't know if you're aware of this, but the word ambulance means to walk. I mean, the word amble means walk. So you think to yourself, why is the word ambulance a derivative of the word walk? And intrinsically, it was when, during the First World War, there was people that had to go out into no man's land and collect the bodies, and they would walk with a stretcher. So they would pick you up and then take you on the stretcher, and they would take your legs and arms and give you to someone to play Twister with. But uh, that's where the word ambulance comes from. But they raced, apparently, without stopping, without going into McDonald's, and they got there, and it said a 44-year-old resident was going to do himself harm with a knife. And when officers arrived at the scene in Ogwell in Devon to find the man, he had hacked off his hand and tossed it into a garbage bin. He then set it ablaze. So How did he strike the match? Well, he might have had it in his teeth, <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing. A trip to the second-hand shop would also be in order, I would suggest. <laughs> Kim laughed at my joke, so she gets an extra point. She's now on eight. They kicked over the bin and plucked out the charred remains of the severed limb, but it was too badly burnt to be saved. The man was taken to Plymouth's Derriford Hospital after the macabre incident at 1.40pm on Monday, where he is believed to be recovering. A neighbour who asked not to be named said he looked deathly pale, but he was unconscious. He had a bandage around him. We saw some blood. The poor chap did look very drained. How's he going to operate his digital watch? I'm sorry, I'm reading this and I'm thinking of all the things you now can't do, like clap or operate a digital watch. But now I know where to send all my extra gloves oh, that I can't find the maid to. <laughs> yeah, if there's a one-legged person out there listening as well, I've got a bag full of socks for you. Another shake. See, there is an upside to having limbs removed. Another shaken local added, who could think such things could be funny? We thought there'd been a suicide or a murder. There were so many police and ambulance people here. Southwestern Ambulance Services said the casualty was treated for hand and wrist injuries before being taken to hospital. He wasn't treated for a hand injury. It was gone. It was gone, but I'm guessing what was remaining needed to be looked at. They tried to give him a hand. They did. And it was self-mutilation. Why? I'm guessing the man was mentally ill. It doesn't actually say. It was Monday afternoon, and I am aware <laughs> of what, you know, it's Monday afternoon. Do we need to say any more? 
How many times have you sat there on a Monday afternoon and thought, I know, let's do some self-mutilation? This sounds like one of the um, horror movies you get in the 1960s and 70s. Do you remember the Hammer House horror films, the British one? I just imagine now that this is the beginning of the story and he's now lying in bed and you now see this charred, burnt hand working its way up the sheets with steam and smoke coming off of it, you know, to reattach itself. Didn't Michael Caine star in a film where he was a, some sort of cartoonist or expert drawer and he lost a hand in a car accident and then he gets haunted by his hand? You're all looking at me blankly. I, I will find I will find the name of this film and I will post it. If anyone's listening and knows the name of the Michael Caine film where he loses his hand and it comes back to haunt him, I would be very grateful. I have a question. Well, I might not be able to answer it, but... Okay, so if he loses a hand... This is going to be... This is a joke, isn't it? No, Yes, no. it is. You're going towards it's, a joke. It's kind of serious. Okay, go on. If he loses a hand... It's a and joke. And you're either right or left-handed, yeah. would he just be handed then? If you're ambidextrous, he won't be able to do anything with both hands. I, I, there are <laughs> more just, questions than answers. Just kidding. The human body is very adaptable. I'm sure he will manage. And to be honest, if he's cut it off... Would you not be doing the cutting action with the hand that you're most proficient in? Or are we just overanalyzing this? Uh, we're thinking into it way too much, okay. I think. Which hand would he cut off, do you think? I don't know. Well, I'll give myself five points. There's nine <laughs> for together. For five. That's how many fingers he's got left. <laughs> yes, and not the two points that you're currently showing me. Okay. What have you got for me tonight in stories of the strange and bizarre, Heather? And you are it's currently a... on three points. So I don't know play. how that happened. Well, do you want me to go through it? <laughs> not really. <laughs> okay. Woman dies after injecting Vaseline into breasts for do-it-yourself boob job. Oh, what's wrong there we go. <laughs> 39-year-old Argentinian athlete and mother Sonia Perez Lazan paid a hefty price for beauty when she injected Vaseline into her breasts during a do-it-yourself boob job that cost her her life. Vaseline's quite a thick substance, isn't it? How can you squeeze that into a syringe? I don't... Um, I don't know. I'm now looking at logistics. It's just... That's, what did she get? Some sort of toxic shock? Because it's petroleum jelly, isn't it? Well, Lazon was rushed to the Lucio Molas Hospital in Santa Rosa, Argentina, just 350 miles southwest of Buenos Aires. Why you need to know that, I really don't know. After she experienced difficulty breathing, the athlete was found to have several lesions on both of her breasts as a result of the Vaseline injections. Initially, Lazon denied any knowledge of what she did, but later confessed to the doctor she injected the solution in hopes of making her breasts bigger. Several weeks after carrying out the dangerous procedure, the amateur runner suffered a fatal blood clot in her lung. The blood clots occurred as a result of the Vaseline entering the woman's bloodstream, which eventually affected her lungs, the doctor said. Lazan's death diagnosis was pulmonary embolism, a sudden blockage in a lung artery. So, Well, thanks for cheering everybody up. That's fabulous. I ever rub Vaseline... On someone's chest? Not recently, but the night is still young, of course. I have one more story for the strange and bizarre. It says here, a vulnerable pensioner says... Callous- oh! Wow! <laughs> Oops, sorry. What did you- I told you not to press that button. This is what happened on the space shuttle, isn't it? <laughs> oh, too soon. Too <laughs> <What>? soon. <laughs> 
Talk about bringing people down. <laughs> a vulnerable pensioner <laughs> says callous thieves stole his life savings, which were disguised as a baked potato. What? <laughs> I'm sorry. James James Wheeland. <laughs> Where are we at with this story? What? Well, James city? Wheeland, this is Britain, unfortunately. Oh, God. It's in a place called Didsbury. James Wheeland, 84, was shocked when he found that £3,000 of his life's savings had gone missing. That's about $5,000. He had hidden the money in a pencil case, which was wrapped in foil and kept inside the oven at his home in Didsbury. The pensioner has Alzheimer's, has reported the incident to the police, who are investigating. The grandfather, whose wife Winifred died 10 years ago, lives alone at the flat on the South Road, where he receives help from council wardens. His son Peter, 54, from Whittingham, says his father had not lost the cash. We've searched the house from top to bottom. It's just not there. He told me he counted it out in £20 notes in rows of a 1,000. He was very specific. and I'm absolutely sure it was stolen, said Peter. A spokeswoman for Greater Manchester Police Officers said they were investigating the missing cash. Now, I don't profess to be in any way, shape or form a detective or indeed a police officer. But if the money was disguised as a baked potato and the gentleman in question has Alzheimer's, what do you think may have happened there? Do you think for one moment he's eaten that, is what I'm saying? <laughs> a bit of, you know, a bit of cream, a bit of butter there, a few chives. It's lucky in actual fact that he didn't mix up his pet tortoise with a pot pie. <laughs> what a fabulous way to end our stories of the strange and the bizarre. We leap into our final round, which is called Not For Your Mother. Those familiar with the show will realise this is the part of the show where we talk about the week's news from around the world that involves things that perhaps you wouldn't want your mother to hear or indeed any minors so if there's young children in the room you need to send them off to bed with a cup of hot chocolate and if there's an elderly person in the room that's easily offended you need to give them a cat perhaps and uh, push them into the garden so without further (laughs) ado not for your mother kim what have you got for me you are currently just shy of being second you are on eight points i'm currently on nine so it's everything to play for in our final round. We're going to go to Hawaii. Hawaii law lets police have sex with prostitutes. Wow. Here's the sound of the police. <laughs> I've seen Hawaii Five O. I know what goes on. Booking Dano. I remember all of that. No? No. Okay, just me. Honolulu police officers have urged lawmakers to keep an exemption in state law that allows undercover officers to have sex with prostitutes during investigations, touching off a heated debate. I bet there's a lot of fights, isn't there, to see who gets to be an undercover police officer. Is there a big problem with prostitution in Hawaii? I mean, who knew such things? I, evidently there is. They wow. want to keep this law in the books. So. Pearl Necklace Harbor. Too soon. Oh. Too soon. <laughs> Authorities say they need the legal protection to catch lawbreakers in the act. Critics, including human trafficking experts and other police, say it's unnecessary and could further victimize sex workers, many of whom have been forced into the trade. Police haven't said how often, or even if, they use the provision. And when they asked legislators to preserve it, they made assurances that internal policies and procedures are in place to prevent officers from taking advantage of it. Um, there's some other in-between of the story, but I have to jump right to the end of the story straight, because straight I love to the it. Meat. Go yep, on. yep. 
Young said Thursday, I don't know of any state or federal law that allows any law enforcement officer undercover to penetrate or do what this law is allowing. Well, that's an unfortunate turn of phrase, isn't it? I find it remarkable. There's um, always a fine line, isn't there, from being undercover to actually, you know, committing crimes. I know. Undercover. What did I say? What did I say? Good pun. You said undercover. Undercover. Never mind. Oh, you're making a joke. I do apologize. I missed it. We're going to have to have a chat about what a joke actually is meant to be. Um, during the troubles we had with Ireland and the IRA, the British government, of course, tried to infiltrate the IRA with uh, agents. And, of course, there reaches a point where if you infiltrate an organisation and you get high up in the ranks, that you're going to be involved at some point in organising bombings or having to plant bombs or having to be part of that process. So do you at that point pull out of that and, and, and give yourself away or do you continue with that so the government is aware of what they're planning and what they're going to do, even if it means that bombs have to be planted and bombs have to go off? Do you see what I mean? So there was a very fine line. It's happened a couple of times, um, and I'm speaking as a Brit because I, I, I can't talk about history of other countries, but I know in British history that's been a problem with infiltrating organisations and terrorist units and so forth. So it's very bizarre. I don't understand why a policeman would need to go with a prostitute even if they were undercover. I don't I don't understand. Supposedly they can't catch the perpetrators without being undercover. You are we, if we're talking about catching the prostitutes themselves. I mean, you know, are you no, going to the Johns. The Johns. Wow, what an interesting story. And of course, I'm glad we mentioned beforehand that this was not for your mother. I'm going to jump straight into my story now. It says a tree in Taiwan has attracted the attention of locals and tourists with its unique appearance. People stopped to take pictures with the Madagascar almond tree, which is located on the outskirts of Taitung. The tall tree has a penis-shaped branch coming out of its trunk. The branch stands about two metres above the ground, which is just as well, because I think people would probably be using it, wouldn't it? So unless they've got a stepladder, that's going to be... I've seen the picture. Oh. Wow, that looks like wood. <laughs> a local man... We'll talk about the pictures in a second... Um, a local man said the tree was once normal, just like every other tree. But the tree broke during high winds of a recent typhoon. As the tree grew back, it got its new look and began looking very manly. The penis-shaped branch is about 20 inches long. Although the girls around the, t- the, girls around the table have seen it and said it looks more like a... <laughs> well, they've all been spoiled, is what I would suggest. Um... There is actually a book written by an author called Tom Sharp called Wilt. And I believe that in that book, there's a gentleman who goes around making love to trees and he drills holes in them. And all the local ornithologists think it's a really rare type of bird. And so are out looking for this rare bird. But in actual fact, it's him drilling holes in trees. And I think he has a preference for ash for some reason. What size drill does he have? I have no idea. It's it's not the size of your drill. It's the size of your bit, sweetheart. This is obviously a true definition of a twig and berries. Now, Heather, you say you've seen this photograph. And, of course, if people want to go and see... It's a nice photograph. What this tree... Yeah, she spent an hour looking at this picture. It is very impressive. I mean, you know, it's obviously a growth on a tree. But it's very, very detailed. I mean, you can tell what religion it is. And how did it get this growth on it? It got blown? Your mother will be proud of you, Kim. I will, I will, I will give her that sound bite the next time I see her. That moves you up to ten. 
but uh, it's very lifelike and it's very detailed and uh, yeah anything you'd like to add to that Heather it's nice hardwood <laughs> oh Christ <laughs> almighty we're going to be taken off the air before we finish the show does anyone else want to jump in with a tree related penis joke Greg anything oh sexy uh-huh. you shall have points for that you should not be given six anything else ladies I'm good you can Heather good. anything you want to we're not, no going to squeeze the pips out of this no no, okay. no, I'm good. The final story of tonight's show, before we removed from there, I did warn our listeners. You can't you say did. I didn't warn you did. them. So, Heather, what have you got for me in the Not For Your Mother round on tonight's show? You need to go shopping. I need to go shopping. Yes, you do. What, what am I required to buy that I don't already have? Thick jeans. You have me interested already. I knew. Thick jeans saves man's genitals from the would-be castrator. Well, if jeans are going to stop me from getting castrated, I shall buy those jeans. I told you. A Pennsylvania man whose estranged wife allegedly attempted to castrate him survived a brush with life as a eunuch, or worse, thanks to his thick jeans. And if this story isn't already some incredibly ingenious viral marketing for Levi's new 501 crotch guard formula jeans, then we're off to the patent office. Lisa Jones Orock, 39, allegedly attempted to cut off Gerald Lee Orock Jr. She was allegedly 39. No one knows. They just guessed that she was 39. So I'm guessing she's actually 45 if it's alleged she's 39. (laughs) Yeah. She uh, tried to cut his penis off with a box cutter during a fight at his Elwood City home last week. I take it all back. You are 39, sweetheart. You look look fabulous for your age. Jones Orock initially claimed that her husband had attacked her with a knife, but police soon discovered that the 56-year-old Orak Jr. had cuts on the crotch area of his jeans and defensive wounds on his left forearm and fingers. The wounds appear defensive, and he did state that Lisa was trying to cut his penis off. Now, the Newcastle police captain, Stephen Brooks, wrote in the complaint, Jones Orak was already in jail, and she was actually in jail on a separate outstanding bench warrant for a DUI when police realized that she was the alleged assailant in the incident. Jones Oracht has been charged with aggravated assault, simple assault, possession of marijuana, and harassment in the incident. Her husband has been charged for violating a protection order uh, that was previously taken out by Jones Oracht. Sorry, He hasn't got a court subpoena, has he? I was. Um, uh, that was terrible. Uh, well, how is that a simple assault? That, I'm going to cut somebody's penis off. That's not a simple assault. I want to see what kind of commercial Levi comes up with. It's crotch guard. Uh, is that an actual brand of jeans? Are you making I don't, that up? No, it was in the story. I don't know. I didn't look. Who was that famous? Uh, was it the famous case? Was it the Bobbitt case? Was yes, Lorena Bobbitt. Oh, he knew. Oh, straight in there. <laughs> Greg's gained more points. Still waters run deep. We're obviously onto an area that you pay a lot of attention to. Do you know what I know about that? Go on, you tell me. That John Bobbitt actually did porn after that. That's right, yes. It was called Frankenweenie. Okay. That really isn't a joke. You're happy to admit that on air. Friends saw it, wasn't me. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I wonder if he dated a waitress and left her the tip. I, um, what was unique about that case? Are those tears running down your leg? What, what, what was unique about that case is I believe she had it in the car with her 
and she wound down the window and threw it out of the car window. Yes, that's true. Well, I imagined, because in Britain and Europe... Sticking to a windshield and falling off. <laughs> well, like Garfield. <laughs> I just did my scaring kids with it. Look what I found, Mum. Put it back, son. A finger puppet. Oh, no. <laughs> I just imagine. Draw a face on it. <laughs> Look, I've made a shrimp. I am... Um, I just imagined, we do a lot of cycling in Britain. You imagine you're cycling along with your anorak on and it goes in the hood of your anorak and she's cycling along. She throws it out of the window. It's in the hood of your anorak. Can you imagine the shock and awe that you would get when it starts to rain? Because ultimately, it might not rain for a few weeks. So it's in the hood of your anorak. You're cycling along. She's thrown it out of the window. Next time it rains, can you imagine? Have you any idea? I had a friend. Oh, no, I was thinking, I was trying to follow you with that and being on a bike or a standing by or just walking down the streets and then she throws it out the window and you all of a sudden get a mushroom tattoo. <laughs> oh, for the love of... <laughs> mushroom stamp right on the forehead. <laughs> We're going to have to edit this down. We can't put this out. This is outrageous. My career lies in ruins as I speak and you're laughing. Yes, I understand <laughs> the sound effect of what a flaccid penis would do if it hit How you in you the face. How do you understand that? Well, <laughs> I'm imagining you're doing 60 miles an hour down the highway. You throw it out the window. It's <laughs> That's going to sting. That's got to leave a mark. What's wrong with you? I had a friend who went on a camping holiday. <laughs> no, that didn't happen. And do you know what you have to defecate in a in a in a hole on a camping holiday? You dig a hole and you just squat, you know, and, and it, it's very rough, isn't it? Camp? You're looking at us like we've all done it. You've never ever defecated in a hole on a camping holiday. <laughs> Greg's 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 doing it when even there was toilets available. Boundary waters. <laughs> the boundary waters. In the water. <laughs> well, the point I'm coming to is that he had his anorak on, and as he was squatting down, he actually did a number two in his hood. <laughs> <laughs> And that, ladies and gentlemen, is a true story. Well, all good things come to an end before we were taken off air. <laughs> so let us look at tonight's scores. In last place, we have Heather. She is the dead battery in the K2 meter on a resplendent three. Greg is in third place with seven. I'm remarkably in second place tonight on nine points. But the winner of the $33,000 IR camera is Kim into double figures with 10 do not fear listener remember we are back with a whole new bunch of stories next week at the same time and i would love for you to join me for a fun and informative (laughs) informative all of our listeners now know what it sounds like to have a flaccid penis hit them in the face while cycling on a bicycle as a car throws it out of the window on highway 60 doing 70 miles an hour please tell your friends and family about the show especially if you don't like them and feel free to contact me anytime via my facebook site more questions than answers with adrian lee or you can email me at mqta at rocketmail.com my gratitude and greatest thanks are extended to Lorna Hunter, not Heather Morris, Jeton Drainer, Kim and Greg Gore and all at the International Paranormal Society and Paranormal.net. This is why I don't allow web cameras in the studio. 
people can't listen and then watch what we do at the same time because uh, I'm sure laws would be broken. And all of the show's sponsors, including the Lakes Area, Paranormal Interest Group, MUFON of Minnesota, Levi Jeans, and all at, <laughs> and all at Super Glue. It just remains for me to say thank you for listening. And remember, be interested and interesting. And make sure your hood is up when you're cycling. Good night.